God's grace restores dead dreams. Do you believe that today? God's grace restores dead dreams. Process this with me for a second. I don't believe there is such a thing as called cheap grace. And let me walk through this and why I believe that today. There's a term that's used that that's cheap grace or you're using cheap grace. I believe grace was pretty costly for our Savior Jesus Christ. I believe it cost him his life. Either grace is free and undeserved and unearned or it's something else. Grace without the cross, that's not cheap grace. That's not grace. It's excusing what took place on the cross. Grace is not cheap. It cost God a lot. He sent him son. It cost Jesus his life. And the truth is this. I do not have the power, nor do you have the power to cheapen God's grace. If we think we have the ability to reduce the grace of God or cheapen it, then we have made grace something that we can earn or even attain. Think about it this way. Repentance is only possible when forgiveness has already been given. See, that's a whole different way of thinking for some of us. Repentance is only available because forgiveness has already been given. We repent because we've been forgiven. When Christ went to the cross, he forgave all of our sins. They've already been forgiven, past, present, and future. And so any time that we want to put a measure or on grace and say that we have to somehow keep it, or we can reduce it, or we can earn it, we've placed the condition on grace. We can't cheapen grace God is the fulfiller and the giver of it. We receive his grace. Either grace is free or it's undeserved and unearned or it's something else. Anytime you place a condition on grace, then you control what grace is. We can only give our sin in exchange for grace. Grace restores our dead dreams. We just sang a song that says, as long as God is in it, the story's not over. I don't know where your story is today. I don't know if it's because you have a dead dream in your marriage. I don't know if you have a dead dream in your calling. I don't know if you've personally acted upon sin in your life and you feel like you don't deserve this impossible thing by the possible God because of something that has happened to you or because of something that's been done to you or something you have done. I have real good news today for you. God's grace restores dead dreams. Grab your Bibles and I'm going to show you one of the most interesting stories I think in the Old Testament. And turn to 1 Samuel chapter 27. 1 Samuel chapter 27 And you're going to see and I'm going to see what I would say is a picture of unusual grace. Stand with me as we read 1 Samuel 27, 1 through 7. Let's read this out loud together. Stand as you're looking at that, 1 Samuel 27, 1 to 7. Let's read it. Ready, read. 
But David thought to himself, one of these days I will be destroyed by the hand of Saul. The best thing I can do is to escape to the land of the Philistines. Then Saul will give up searching for me anywhere in Israel, and I will slip out of his hand. So David and his 600 men with him left and went over to Achish, son of Maah, king of Gath. David and his men settled in Gath with Achish. Each man had his family with him. And David had his two wives, Ahonom and Jezreel and Abigail of Carmel, the widow of Nabal. When Saul was told that David had fled to Gath, he no longer searched for him. Then David said to Achish, If I have found favor in your eyes, let a place be assigned to me in one of the country towns that I may live there. Why should your servant live in the royal city with you? So on that day, Achish gave him Ziklag, and it belonged to the kings of Judah ever since. David lived in Philistine territory a year and four months. You may have a seat. Think for a second what's happening here. Let's give you a little background here. David, through Samuel, was anointed or appointed to be the next king of Israel. He was to follow Saul and being king. Saul is on the hunt for David to take his life. Even though God had promised David that he would be king. And God is good on his promises. So as we enter this account, David is at such a low point in his life, David decides to go to the enemy's camp and to live with the enemy in a place called Ziklag, And in his mind, he thought to himself, the text said, that maybe Saul will forget about me and will no longer chase me down. I'll say this in regards to this account today. No sin can resist God's grace forever. God's grace will hunt you down. Look again at verse 1 of chapter 27. It says, but David thought to himself, one of these days I will be destroyed by the hand of Saul. The best thing I can do is to escape to the land of the Philistines. God's promise was given to him. The text says he lived there for 16 months in the enemy's camp. David chose to focus on what might happen, he thought, instead of the one who had promised to make something happen. David thought Saul's going to kill me so what does he do that we do we try to take the decisions that we've made maybe the poor choices we made or maybe the things that have been done against us and control them and think to ourselves and so David decides the best thing I can do instead of trusting in the Lord for this dream of king and the promise is to pull away and to live in a hillside the country of where the enemy finds himself today thinking I can't do this by myself so I'll go live with the enemy think about this for a second everything that should be done is not done David who would later be king has reduced himself to believe a lie because he's focused more on what Saul might do him do to him instead of what God had promised him You know what happens? Discouragement can set into our hearts. Discouragement, one defined, is anything that makes us less confident and hopeful. Some choose to forfeit the gift of grace and take their lives into their own hands. 
Here is God's appointed king, anointed king. This was Israel's champion, by the way. If you were to walk into the bedrooms of Israeli children and people of God during this time, you would find posters of David alongside LeBron and Kobe and Patrick McCombs and Tom Brady. He would be on the walls. He's the giant slayer. He killed Goliath. There would be t-shirts that had David's face on it. He was every child's hero. And now he is hiding in the enemy's territory with the enemy as his king. He was the giant killer. Just prior to this, he slew Goliath. Songs played on Israeli's Christian rock radio 77.7 about David. They played. Bobbleheads could be found in the back of chariots with David's face on it. He was God's promise for Israel, the future king, hiding in the hill country, away from Saul in the enemy's yard. Action figures were being put out by Mattel and slingshots that bore his autograph were for sale at Israel's Walmart. He was the buzzword in school, now believing a lie that the best thing he could do was to take his situation, his dream, and his calling and promise from God into his hands and to sleep in the enemy's camp. So how could he go from a zero or a hero to a zero when he had so much going for him, so much promise to him? Samuel told him he would be the next king, but the devil stole his confidence, his calling, his courage, and his faith, and his hope. And he finds himself in the enemy's camp, the Philistine country. The text says in verse 7, for 16 months he checked out, hid in isolation, thinking, I'm better off if I pull away and hide here. Saul would never come here. In fact, it says Saul would give up even chasing him. David was stripped of everything. He was now a fugitive hiding in the caves of the Philistine country. He had lost his first love and Satan had ripped him off. He threw away his dreams, his calling, his goals and something very precious from David was stolen. His courage and his faith in his God. You take away a person's dreams and they become the very worst version of themselves. This could be true of you today. Maybe your dream appears to be stolen Maybe it's gone because of your sinful choices. We are capable of doing some pretty dumb things, but hear me out. God's grace can restore our dreams. So now you sit here today, maybe you're online, and maybe you're in the other auditorium, and you feel like all hope is gone because you have believed a lie about, from the enemy you are believing something that the, someone is telling you. David was living with the very people who were once his enemy. How could something like that even happen? He had become a shell of himself. Yesterday morning in Dudes and Doctrine, in the high school auditorium from 6 to 8 a.m., there were a whole bunch of men that were gathered. And we were studying the theology of the Holy Spirit 
And we were talking about what it means to be baptized by the Holy Spirit, what it means to be filled by the Holy Spirit, what it means to be dwelt by the Holy Spirit and dwelt by the Holy Spirit, how the Holy Spirit prompts and how the Holy Spirit fills us. And, and so we studied through the Bible and we looked at all the, the views that people have on the Holy Spirit. And we talked about what it means to be filled with the Spirit. In Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 16, Paul says that we should be filled. It's an imperative, it's a command that we should be filled. And if you look at that text, and we did yesterday, it, 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 it reminds us that there are moments in our lives where we are filled. There's these moments where we're empowered. There's these moments where we do supernatural things because God is working in us. And we looked at stories in the Old Testament, New Testament, where people did things that were beyond their own human ability because they were filled with the Spirit of God. David is not filled with the Spirit here. Yesterday I said this, and if you were part of the group yesterday, don't answer, give the answer to this question. But what is similar about these things that I'm about to list? A tire, a beach ball, and an inner tube. What is similar about those three things, anybody? They need air to inflate them so that they are what they're supposed to be. So in other words, for a tire to operate in its function or purpose, it needs air in it. For a beach ball to be used so that it can perform to its redemptive or redeemed or, or manufactured ability, it needs air. For an inner tube to be pulled behind a boat so that people can hang on it, in order to serve its function, it needs air in it. Otherwise, they're all just a tire on a shelf that has checked out of the game that's of no value. Or a beach ball that's still in the bag that is no good because it's not being used. Or an inner tube that's deflated. So they need to go to the source that fills them up so that they can become what they've been intended to be. So in order for them to do that, you take them near a pneumatic air compressor and you put air in them. And then they perform to their ability. It's the same with us. In order for us to be filled with the Spirit and to operate the way God intended us to, we must move to the source and be filled with the source of God. The closer you get to God, the more you are filled with his Holy Spirit. But the truth is this. David, and probably many of us at different times in our lives, aren't filled with the Holy Spirit, and the posture that we operate in is this. We are deflated. We have been built and designed, and God left the comforter behind to empower us that we will do greater things. And David has moved away from the source, and he is nothing more than a beach ball that has been deflated, a tire with no air an inner tube that hasn't been filled. And that's where many of us are if we remove ourselves from the source. David left the people of God. David began to believe a lie. He finds himself and he sends himself back on the shelf. And it's in those times that we begin to believe a lot of lies from the enemy. John 10.10 10 says the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. Jesus came that we may have life, full life, 
Holy Spirit inspired and filled life. An abundant life. You see, ships don't sink because of the water around them, but because of the water that gets in them. And if we let the lies of the enemy infiltrate our minds like David did here, we begin to believe the lies. And we literally sink from the inside out. We need to be filled with the truths of God so that we're buoyant with all the troubles around us. Don't let what is happening around you get in you and weigh you down. I don't know what your dream might be today, and I don't know if you're, you're not getting that dream because of your own sinful choices, as in David's case. Or maybe you feel like you've been punched in the gut. Maybe you feel like you've tried and you keep getting no. And if you're not careful, you could soon pull away from the source of truth that says greater is he that's in you than he that's in the world. That says that you are an overcomer, that you are more than a conqueror. And if you choose to pull away, you might begin to believe the lies that the enemy feeds you. Maybe you have a singing dream. Maybe it's a screaming dream. Maybe it's a photography dream. Maybe it's a praying dream. Dreams for your marriage. Maybe it's dreams for your children. Maybe it's a dream for your life. Then some little disappointment comes along or a little criticism or someone lets you down or someone has a sour attitude and bam, you give up and you retreat and try to control your own future thinking I can do it better than God can and before you know it this is a picture of your life you see we must stay close to the source our God and let him empower us you and I are one step away from being where David who's the next king of Israel is Oh, I would never go and sleep in the enemy's camp. I would never go the other way. I would never leave my God. The troubles of this world begin to fill your mind. All of us have dreams, and I don't know, maybe this is your dream right here. <laughs> That's quite a dream. <laughs> Hey, let me tell you something funny. This was in our front room. I ordered this on Amazon for illustration this week. And I got up this morning at 4 a.m. and forgot I had this in the front room. (laughs) I came walking out in the dark of our front room. And this hunk of a man greeted me. (laughs) Scared the living daylights out of me. But the truth is, maybe you feel like today you have been punched in the gut but you can get back up with the grace of God maybe today because of your own sinful choices or the sinful choices of someone around you you feel like you're down for the count and there is nothing that will restore this dream that God has birthed in your heart for your marriage for your life for your future this calling and maybe you feel like there's nothing maybe you're in hiding like David is right now who has the calling of king promised from God to him. Waiting, but he is hiding in the bowels of sin in the enemy's camp. Grace 
will hunt you down. And grace can help you get back up. And the power of God. Watch what happens to David in chapter 27 in verse 8. He's living in Philistine country, it says in verse 7. Now it says this. Now David and his men went up and raided the, the Geshurites and the Gerzites and the Mosquito Bites and all the other bites. From ancient times, these people had lived in the land extending to Shur in Egypt. Whenever David attacked an area, he did not leave a man or woman alive, but took sheep and cattle, donkeys and camels and clothes. Then he returned to King Achish. When Achish asked, where did you go raiding today? David would say, against the Negev or the valley or the water of Judah. By the way, those are valleys where God's people were in. So he tells King Achish, I attack God's people. Or against the Negev of Jeremiel, or against the Negev of the Kenites. He did not leave a man or woman alive to be brought to Gath, for he thought they might inform us on us and say, This is what David did, and such was his practice as long as he lived in the Philistine country. Achish trusted David and said to himself, He has become so obnoxious to his own people, God's people, the Israelites, that he will be my servant for life. Think about what's happening here. So David had these conversations with King. King would say, hey, where'd you go raiding today? He said, well, I went over and I attacked the Israelites and God's people. And he's like, okay. But the truth is he didn't. He went out and attacked the enemy so that he could bring supplies back to his men in Ziklag. So he was living this lie not only with his own, but with King Achish. And King Achish, he says, he is so obnoxious and against his own that I want him to protect my life. Grace can flourish in the armpit of sin. Grace will not give up on David even though He's living in the enemy's camp. Grace stomps out sin and screw-ups. Let me give you a visual. I don't know, maybe because of your own choices, that you are down and out. I don't know, maybe because of your sin. But what I do know is this. Grace will hunt your sin down. And grace can restore your dreams. For Illustration, picture this is grace and you are sin. Grace will hunt you down, Richard. Tim, Randy, you need a double. It will. Ha- Chad, here we go. It's this picture, it hunts you down. It will come after you. It will chase down your sin. It will come after after you and say, you have nothing that you have done that I can't overcome because grace is more powerful than your sin. Amen? That's the picture of grace. There is nothing we have done to deserve it, but it's available to us. Even David, grace will come hunting him down. So that the dream that God had placed on his life would be fulfilled.
Watch what happens next to David. Chapter 28, verse 1. In those days, the Philistines gathered their forces to fight against Israel. Achish said to David, You must understand that you, David, and your men will accompany me in the army. David said, Then you will see for yourself what your servant can do. King Achish replied, Very well. I will make you my bodyguard for life. What in the world is going on with David? Verse 3, now Samuel was dead, and all Israel had mourned for him and buried him in his own town of Ramah. Saul had expelled the mediums and spiritists from the land. David is protecting the enemy. Achish says, you will be my bodyguard. Let's bring that home to real life. That would have been like this. That would have been like a Marine being a bodyguard for Saddam Hussein in the midst of Operation Desert Storm. That's what's happening right here. David is going to be the bodyguard for the leader of the enemy. But grace has no boundaries. There is no sin that grace won't chase down. Can I get another amen? Amen. The problem is this with us. We too often remember the things we should forget and forget what we should remember. And what we need to remember is our God is an overcoming God. You might say, well, I've never dropped as low as David. Ask yourself today. Maybe not in his way, but you have dropped out of the game and it's been a long time since you have entered the battle. And part of the problem is that David fell into what I would say was the solitary syndrome. And the solitary syndrome isolates you from accountability and community and strips you of godly confidence. By the way, there were 600 men with David. These were his mighty men. These were some of the same men that stood in a pit on a snowy day and fought lions. These were some of the men that hiked for miles to bring him something to drink. These were some of the men that took a weaver's rod and killed a thousand out in a a barley field. These are the same men that David had alongside of him fighting for God and now they're hiding in Ziklag being the bodyguard for the enemy because they think I'm safer here taking my situation into my hands instead of trusting the God who controls the world. Read on with me in chapter 29 in verse 1. It says the Philistines gathered all their forces at Aphek and Israel camped by the spring in Jezreel. As the Philistine rulers marched with their units of hundreds and thousands, David and his men were marching at the rear with King Achish. What? The commanders of the Philistines asked, What about these Hebrews? Achish replied, Is this not David, who was an officer of Saul, King Saul of Israel? He has already been with me for over a year. In fact, 16 months. 
And from the day he left Saul until now, I have found no fault in him. Verse four, but the Philistine commanders were angry with Achish and said, send the man back that he may return to the place you assigned him. He must not go with us into battle or he will turn against us during the fighting. How better could he regain his master's favor than by taking the heads of our own men? When a child of God defects, the other side doesn't even trust him. They are shaking their heads. They're lining up to go into battle against Saul's men, against David's family and those that follow God. And so they line up, Philistines, the Israelites, the people of God are coming. At the rear of the Philistine line are these Hebrews, mighty men of God, ready to fight against their own families. The very own people who follow the same. How in the world did it get that bad for David? You see, even verse 5 says this in chapter 29. Isn't this the David they sang about in their dances? (laughs) Saul has slain his thousands and David his tens of thousands. You see, they remember the song, Oh, Davy, he's so fine, he's so fine, he blew my mind. Hey, Davy, They, they, they knew it. But now he's at the rear of the camp and they're saying, wait a minute, he was on 77.7 today. Even when you defect to the enemy's camp, they won't trust you. When a child of God defects, think about this, the other side doesn't trust him. Watch what happens next. You want to see grace inserted into the story? You want to see God hunting you and me down with his grace? Verse six, so King Achish called David and said to him, as surely as the Lord lives, you have been reliable and I would be pleased to have you serve with me in the army. From the day you came to me until today, I have found no fault in you, but the rulers don't approve of you. Now turn back, Davy, and go in peace. Do nothing to, to displease the Philistine rulers. But what I, have I done, asked David? What have you, have you found against your servant from the day I came to you until now? Why can't I go and fight against the enemies of my Lord, the king, my very own people? Achish answered, I know that you have been as pleasing in my eyes as an angel of God. Nevertheless, the Philistine commanders have said, he must not go up with us into battle. Verse 10, Achish says, now get up early along with your master's servants who have come with you and leave in the morning as soon as it's light. Verse 11, so David and his men got up in the early morning to go back to the land of the Philistines and the Philistines went up to Jezreel. Achish even calls him an angel of God. He's ready to go home. 
God spares him of this encounter. Can you imagine this encounter? The Israelites are ready to go to battle. One of the commanders looks out ahead and says, Ooh, Davy's out there. Oh, and there's, there's my cousin, and there's my uncle, and there's another friend. What are they doing over there? He even strips him of being able to stand there and seeing his own people. And so God inserts grace, speaks to the enemy's soldiers who said, send him away, moves him away so he doesn't have to fight against his own. But while he was away, this is taking place. Look at verse 6. Of chapter 29. So Achish called and sent him. Now look at chapter 30 and verse 1. David and his men reached Ziklag. They went back on the third day. Now the Amalekites had raided the Negev and Ziklag. They had attacked Ziklag and burned it. This is where David was hiding. And had taken captive the women and everyone else in it. Both young and old. They killed no one or none of them. But carried them off as they went on their way. When David and his men reached Ziklag, they found it destroyed by fire and their wives and sons and daughters taken captive. So David and his men, they wept aloud, the text says, until they had no strength left to weep because they thought they were dead. David's two wives had been captured. captured. Verse six, David was greatly distressed because the men were talking of stoning him. Rightly so. Each one was bitter in spirit because his sons and daughters. But David found strength in the Lord, his God. His own soldiers were ready to stone him. They cried so hard they ran out of tears. David's self-pity and doubt led him to a grave dilemma. His own family is now being captured because of the choices that he had made. It appears like it is over for everyone, but grace will hunt you down and pick you back up. Although David lapsed in his trust of God to protect him from Saul, God did not abandon him. You and I are never too far gone for God to resurrect and use you again. Sometimes we need to recognize that clearly. You see, not all storms come to disrupt your life. Some come to clear the path for God to work. Watch what happens next. Verse 7 says this, Then David said to Abathar the priest, the son of Ahimelech, bring me the ephod. Abathar brought it to him. And David inquired of the Lord. Finally, what did he do? He left the camp. He got closer to the source of hope, who is God. And you can see, now he finally moves here. And when you get close to God, he can fill you with truth. He can empower you to do things that you can't do when you're isolated yourself. I love how God intervenes on behalf. Verse 8, and David inquired of the Lord, shall I pursue this raiding party? Should I go after them? Will I overtake them, Lord? Pursue them, he answered. 
you will certainly overtake them and succeed in the rescue. David, it says in verse 9, and his 600 men with him came to the Baser Valley where some stayed behind. 200 of them were too exhausted to cross the valley, but David and the 400 continued the pursuit. Verse 11 says, they found an Egyptian in a field and brought him to David. They gave him water to drink and food to eat, part of a cake and pressed figs and two cakes of raisin. He ate and was revived, for he had not eaten any food or drunk any water for three days and three nights. Verse 13, David asked this Egyptian, where do you belong to? Who, where do you come from? Who do you belong to? He said, I am an Egyptian, the slave of an Amalekite. Oh, that's the group that just attacked David's family. My master abandoned me when I became ill for three days. We raided the Negev of the Kirthites, some territory belonging to Judah and Negev of Caleb, and we burned Ziklag. That's David's camp. David asked him, can you lead me down to this raiding party? He answered, swear to me before God that you will not kill me or hand me over to my master and I will take you down to them. He led David down and there they were scattered over the countryside, eating and drinking and reveling because of this great amount of plunder they had taken from the land of the Philistines, which was David's family. Verse 17 David fought them from dusk until the evening of the next day and none of them got away except 400 young men who rode off on camels and fled. David recovered everything the the Amalekites had taken, including his two wives. Nothing was missing, young or old, boy or girl, plunder or anything else they had taken. David brought everything back. He took all the flocks and herds and his men drove them ahead of the other livestock saying this is David's plunder never rob God of his comeback plan for your life we are comeback waiting to happen do you see God's grace here God inserts his grace he places an Egyptian out in the field God controls everything he allows this Egyptian to get sick Three days prior, they leave him behind thinking he's, he'll die. They find him in the field, and when they find him in the field, they give him some fig newtons, and he says, hey, wh- where'd you come from? Well, we were the ones that attacked Ziklag, and I know where the people are that attacked him, but if you don't kill me, I will take you to them. That is called grace, grace, grace. God placed one of the enemy in a field so that David's men could find him. David goes there and comes back and everything is restored. Why? Because God's grace will hunt down your sin and your life. This is craziness. There was so much there, it says that there was a surplus Even our very worst decisions can be redeemed by our God. Grace awaits you and is hunting you down. God's grace restores dead dreams. 
I wonder today for you here and that are in this room and those online in the other auditoriums, I wonder who God has out on US 33 or the marketplace or your school or on the hillside or in your neighborhood that he has strategically left behind so that you can encounter them and then when your newfound faith like David collides with God's grace, the rebirthing of your dream comes to fruition. Why do I say that? David would become king of Israel. Why? Because God's grace will hunt you down and restore the dreams he has for your life. Your dream is still out there. Maybe you feel like you've gotten punched in the gut. God can restore your dreams. Oh Lord, I pray that we believe that. I don't know of any passage in Scripture that demonstrates unmerited grace as much as this. But God, you have no measure of grace that you limit us with. But you long for us to step back out in faith again and get back up. And your grace will collide with our faith and what we believe you have laid upon our lives can be restored in the power of the Holy Spirit. I pray, God, that we would believe that today. I pray that we would believe that we are the people of a possible God. In Jesus' name, amen.